Hi there, I'm Randy, the founder of Anew, and this is A New Approach, a podcast about challenging the status quo, embracing new ideas, and taking a new approach to age-old problems. On this week's episode, my co-founder Josh and I have the pleasure of chatting with Rachel Weissman from Potential AI. Rachel has been the founder of several ventures, each one with a focus on purpose, integrity, and helping people unlock their potential. Even before her own ventures, Rachel has experience in the fascinating intersection of user experience and artificial intelligence long before that was a buzzword. Although in different industries, our two ventures have very similar missions, so it was a delight to be able to hear about the what and the how that helped bring Rachel's why to life. From having more intentional conversations to common misconceptions around the concept of balance, and even to how we can use the power of storytelling within our own lives, this really is an episode you don't want to miss. Let's get into it. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us this morning on A New Approach. Hey, hey. Hi, Randy. It's such a pleasure to have you on. Before we really get started, we'd like to hear about your own personal journey. So I grew up outside Chicago. And maybe it's like a little bit of a Midwest thing or whatever it may be. I'm currently in the Bay Area. So much of my life, it felt like there was this set path. This is the path that you're supposed to do. So go to the certain college, go on the certain study abroad program, get married by the certain time. It was all laid out and it was all very clear. And I know many people who followed that exact path. And there's no right or wrong. But what I see so often, especially with other founders, other young people, is they follow what they think that they should do. And there was this moment for me when I was in Florence, Italy. I was 21. I was studying abroad. And I was in this utter state of depression. Like in Florence, Italy, of all places. And my friends were planning a, tr a weekend trip to Ibiza, like people do. And it was like one of those trips where like everyone cool was going kind of thing. But then when I really listened to my gut, I didn't actually want to be there. And I knew surrounding myself with those people, I couldn't truly be me. I couldn't truly be myself. So I ended up not going to Ibiza and I stayed in Florence. And I did my own thing. I got espresso at the cute little shop and I got the little sandwiches and all those things. And reflecting back on my life, it was the first time that I gave myself permission to listen to that gut instinct and listen to that voice. And that was really what has helped percolate into cultivating the courage to step into my own path which has percolated into leading UX at one of, for Salesforce is one, one of their first AI products, working on maps and search at Google for a couple of years. Now this is my third startup. First was a study abroad marketplace. The other was a community-based startup. And now again, building back in the AI space. And I'd say outside of tech-focused system thinking, I've also done a lot in the wellness space. So I'm a certified yoga teacher, certified meditation teacher, and also a CEO coach. Um, not actively teaching yoga and, and meditation, but actively coach in a very small capacity. So yeah, there's a lot more going on, but that's like some things that are happening. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. 
I, I noticed on your LinkedIn, and I think you mentioned it in our first call that we had for mm. potential that you had some struggles with traditional education, mm. especially with that predefined path. Yeah. But you went from struggling with that to building your own course. Can mm -hmm. you tell me about how that journey happened and what impact that had on where you decided to go next? So it was during COVID and I was living nomadically at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was on the couch catching up with my dear friend from high school. And we were trying to figure out where to go to dinner. And she was like, okay, look at the menu. And so I'm looking at the menu and I'm like, okay, the words move around sometimes, but I, don't worry about it. And she sits up and she looks at me and she goes, Rach, what do you mean? The words move around sometimes, <laughs> that's not a thing. And so we just took some time and really reflected short of it. I figured out that I was dyslexic mm -hmm. and this was now just a couple of years ago. And it was one of those moments when looking back, everything made sense. School was so hard for me growing up. So, so hard. I will not share what I got on the reading portion of the standardized sets because you yeah. wouldn't believe that if that's how I got to where I am today. But what it really did teach me is like resilience and perseverance and really figuring out how to chart my own path. And because I was surrounded by the kids that ended up going to like the Ivy League schools. And so I was like, what's not matching? It's, I just do things different. Mm -hmm. And so I think what you were referring to of like my own course, my previous startup was a community-based startup. Focus was emotional intelligence. I'd say in a way it was like a little bit before its time, if I was to like look back. Because I really everything that's happening in AI is going to flip knowledge workers on their head. And there's going to be this huge, exciting opportunity for people really to develop, we'll call them like human skills, mm -hmm. and really a need to develop that resilience, adaptability, awareness, the list can go on. And so from a lot of the inner work that I was doing, and then seeing how that translated into the workplace, specifically, most recently being at Google, I started testing what I was learning in like the inner journey of things uh, from like meditation, from all these like emotional intelligence kind of courses and saw an opportunity. So I created this like eight week course specifically for designers, but it really could be applied to anyone that taught folks how to really increase their impact using emotional intelligence based skills. So it was partially rooted in meditation and self-awareness, resilience, and then really understanding how from that place of knowing yourself how to authentically express and connect and then have the impact that really allows you to act with the greatest degree of integrity. How did you know that path that you made was the right path to delineate from traditional ways? This was the course I'm going to set on forth, no mm. matter what the blockades <laughs> were or the different intrusions that would come along the way. How did you know that this is the right course of action to do no matter what, instead of mm. going back into the means of traditional paths? Yeah, I'll hold space for two things. So you never know. For me, I'd say in my early 20s or mid 20s, I knew a lot. I knew so much and I felt really old. Um, I'm now 32. I know nothing and I'm really young. It's interesting this, um, and maybe it's partial like ego depletion or whatever it may be. And just the way that I'm showing up is from a different place. But when I'd say like, you never really know what I do say for folks that forge out into their own path, only do it if you can't imagine not doing it because it's hard. If I felt fulfilled and complete staying in big tech, and I realized that the job market has totally shifted and so it's not as golden handcuffy anymore, 
that's quite nice. If I could feel fulfilled, like having my job be a job and get a steady paycheck and get like 15 to 30 days of vacation a year. Wow. I, that would, what a, and have hobbies. I couldn't even imagine. Wow. Yeah. I do have hobbies still, but it's just, it's more about acting from a place of integrity. And so there's no right or wrong. If having a job is a job and not your life is your right path. Hell yeah. Do that. That's amazing. And work at a large organization. Amazing. If it feels in conflict and if you don't have energy waking up, if you don't get excited about waking up, that's been the big shift for me of I wake up with energy with what I'm doing. And it's a wild shift where before I would just be like, no, do I have to? So it's noticing those micro moments and really having right. the hard conversations with yourself and not just following everyone wants to be a creator. So I should be a creator. Or it's cool to be a founder, so I should be a founder. When in actuality, right. I want to take home a paycheck and then go rock climbing. Mm -hmm. And then stay right. and like have a lot of nice date nights with my partner. You should still be able to do all those things with building a business. But there's just different realities that come at play. And the um, turbulence that comes with company building or like lack of traditional path. I, I really want to talk about that because that was a shock to me. I, I grew up going to school knowing at the time, again, yeah. in my early 20s, that I wanted to be a founder. I knew that this was my path, yeah. but I knew I wasn't ready for it. Mm -hmm. So I went into aerospace and was in the aerospace Fine. startup community for quite some time, as well as in the public sector. And I thought that I had an understanding of what entrepreneurship was going to be at the mm. time. And I think I fell into the trap that so many other people fall into, which is that very often part of the allure of entrepreneurship is that mm -hmm. you're your own boss. You get to set your own hours. Your mm -hmm. life gets to be what you make it. There's this deep yep. connection between who you are and what you're building. But the reality is very often the opposite, where you don't have a life anymore and or you don't have your traditional definition of a life, I would love to know, especially with your focus on purpose and mental resiliency, mm -hmm. what's your take on finding balance when people are making that transition? Yeah, so I don't believe in balance. And I've spoken about this. We have this notion of this much is for work, this much is for family, this much is for community, this much is for me. For those that are just listening, I just made like a pie chart with my hand. It was perfect. It was quite something. We have this notion of what balance is, but in, in actuality, it sets many people up for failure because it's just near impossible to achieve perfect balance in all aspects of our life. So rather, like what I believe in is being aware of your priorities and rigorously acting upon those priorities. For example, this week, I'd say specifically, was a very work-focused week. I didn't do as many community social things. I've gone to multiple meetup events kind of things. And it felt super aligned. Where then the week before, my mom was in town and we had some beautiful time. And then next week, I think it's going to be like a little bit more social and community kind of vibe. It's really important for me, I'd say, especially living in a female body, fully expressing all these parts of myself. Mm -hmm. This applies to whatever body you live in, but I'd say that identity for me is very forward in a lot of that. And really giving yourself permission to take a break, you do that. So I'd say it's, a lot of it is really being diligent as to where's your energy coming from and where do you feel like depleted in certain parts of your life. I was even at a talk 
last night, it was a women engineering meetup in South Bay, so just south of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And this one VC, essentially, she built two companies and now she's a VC. And she was like, don't wait to don't wait until after you build the company, have friends, date, do all these things. It's you need to do it all. You can't just wait until later. What about in terms of defining potential? for either yourself, how do you define potential? And then how do you even define potential for your clients or people that you work with? How do you measure that unlocking of potential? Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways to look at it depending on what someone's goals are and what their opportunity areas are. And for example, something that I've been working on a lot just internally is being really aware of my energy levels and my emotion and my intentions and am I having fun today? And my caffeine levels and physical movement and meditation. And then there's a whole element of nutrition and community. And I'd say it really depends of what someone's goals are and where they see opportunities for growth based on where they seem unbalanced. In terms of how do I define potential? So I've been listening to Adam Grant's book on unlocking potential, which is good. I'm not that far, so I don't have much to say on it. But a lot of the ethos thus far is essentially it's not the, and I think this is why maybe I'm so interested in this whole topic and been exploring it so deeply. It's not the smartest person that has the greatest potential. It's more so what you are, like the grit and the stamina and yep. the, that you're able to execute and work through in order to do that great thing. And also be like compassionate and not be a perfectionist against yourself. And so a lot of really leaning into what are you learning? How can you grow? And using that catalyst to do incredible things. Yeah, I'm actually reading Originals by Adam Grant right now. The very first chapter, he talks about that, where if we measured our success or our potential by just pure intelligence, which is something that so many of us do, then why aren't child prodigies consistently at the very top of their game for their entire life, right? You Mm -hmm. would think that people who have this extremely high intelligence in these specific areas would then go on to continue to do incredible things. But the reality is when you have that much intelligence at that young of an age, you don't then develop resiliency and the skill set because it's such an easy trajectory for you yeah and that's to be a burden over time if you don't mind i want to switch the conversation over a little bit to your work with ceos founders entrepreneurs to talk about this resiliency yeah those roles tend to be filled by people who have obviously very high potential and also have to be at the top of their game 24 7. yeah what do they still struggle with when they've, you know, quote unquote, solved enough problems, have reached this level of potential, yeah. what are they still dealing with that surprises you sometimes? Yeah. So this is something that I call like strategic resilience. And it's something that I work on with folks a good amount. And this is why for me internally, such a practice is, and it's just this like constant refinement of being really mindful of where I'm putting my energy. And upon being really strategically resilient, there's this moment upon understanding what actions you're taking 
and not needing to take an action until you absolutely have to. Hmm. And that requires a really high degree of awareness and a really high degree of discernment to understand, do I act on this? How much do I act on it? And how do I navigate that? With that, upon executing on any specific task, it will excel and take off. It will get lost on the runway. It will crumble, it will fail. And is there the compassion built into that to allow you to quickly iterate and learn from that? Or do you get caught up in getting angry at yourself, getting angry at your team? Do you take time to reflect and understand what did I learn? There's such a, an ethos, I'd say, especially in tech building things of, accelerate at all costs which is great like i'm down to move fast and uh, people i work with we're like let's move fast let's get things done but if you don't take time to also understand what you learned you're going to keep on making the same mistakes over and over and i see the a good amount yeah. with folks that just want to get things done but then you just keep falling in the same hole because you didn't patch up the road yeah, that's a great point you make. I find at times myself, I get sort of results oriented instead of process oriented, not coming up with the right frameworks to generate a sustained level of success. And oftentimes I have a hard time in figuring out what success means to me. Yeah. Could you? What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you? Yeah, that's, a, that, that's actually the question I was going to ask. I can ask and then I'm curious what you have to say too. So I have this kind of like visual, and I think for more, a lot of it's like a feeling where it's this feeling of peace internally. Also like beauty. I love beautiful things and creating beautiful experiences mm -hmm. and surrounding myself with people that really stimulate me intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. I've learned that I really enjoy operating on both planes of really broad global systems thinking and also the power of one-on-one -on -one work because it's completely different kinds of depth. I'd say success is really personal. And I think yeah. that so many people have, like we watch the movie and we see like the Wolf of Wall Street or like whatever it may be. And you're like, this is success. And when in actuality, for so many, it might be nothing related to technology. And I know a good amount of people where I'm seeing, of course, more than two paths emerge, but at a high level, some people really diving into everything in AI and tech, which I very much fall in that bucket. And mm. then other people who are, who I know many of them, who are very much like getting off the grid and who are really connecting more with nature and all of these incredible things, which is very much needed. And so, Success is knowing yourself and being able to arrive in whatever full, whole place that allows you to thrive, I'd say. So much I've defined the success, my success has been rooted into my why, which is yeah. creating opportunities of growth for underserved communities in my local area. Mm -hmm. And I was so focused on that end result of that, of have I created enough communities? Have I achieved in ways that I feel like is the best? Like I've created this amazing system that helps so many underserved people in this community. And mm -hmm. I know I haven't achieved that yet. Mm -hmm. So I've geared my success instead of 
figuring out that end result, figuring out the process within that mm. result of, am I actively working towards that goal every single day? Have mm. I done all I can today to inch 1% closer to that end result goal? And if I have, I'm learning to think that in itself is a form of success that I can live with and I can be happy with every mm. single day because at least I know I'm contributing to what my overall why is. So that would be how I find my success. I remember reading Start With Why by Simon Sinek when it came out and I was an early teenager. It's such a great book, right? And it was really geared more towards business, but I immediately saw the parallels in my own personal life where I had been, I had grown up in an environment that taught me to communicate the what and then the how, and then only if somebody really asks, do you share the why? Mm -hmm. And flipping that narrative on its head and yeah. realizing that if I don't have that core understanding of what that is, then why am I doing any of this? I'm, yeah. I'm going to end up like all these other adults that I saw in my life that were in their 40s, 50s, and felt like they were just now starting to discover what they should have been doing a long time ago. Yeah. And so I've held that really closely for me for quite some time. And I now define success both within the business as well personally as how well on a day-by-day -day basis am I living by my why? which is yeah. to inspire, support, and empower others so that they can change their world. And just to go back to on something that you said earlier, part of the way that we look at about that in the business is we don't really care about the technology. Like, sure, we're in the AI space, great. We're diving in, we're using generative AI, machine learning, all of these really yeah. cool bleeding edge systems that we're building out, but we are in no way, shape or form measuring success by how well that works. Mm -hmm. We are measuring success by how well we are empowering people to define and then live by their own version of success. That is our, that's not quite our mission, but that is, yeah. that is one of the things that we are finding so hard for people. And I've never worked harder. I've never been paid less, but I've never felt more successful doing what I feel like is just a natural extension of me every single day. Hey listeners, I'd like to take a moment to give some special thanks to one of our beta users, Noel. Noel is a startup founder, educator, and community organizer. And over the last couple of weeks has been using Anu as a focused and dedicated space for reflection and personal growth. His input and suggestions for Anu have been instrumental in helping us rapidly develop the beta. In the coming weeks, we'll be introducing major updates to the tool, and some of which were suggested directly by Noel. So thanks again, Noel, and for our listeners, be sure to support him in the episode notes below. Now back to the podcast. Let's talk about the power of storytelling. At what point in your life did you have that start with why moment where you realized how you could use that and implement that to achieve your goals, make progress, find peace, whatever it might be? It was, and I was at Salesforce and uh, I got the opportunity to lead UX for one of their first AI products. So this was long before this current hype. People really didn't know about AI. A lot of it didn't work. This was even before like 2017 with the whole transformer models and all of that. Yet the big product area that I was working on, I got asked to release it on stage at a Dreamforce keynote. Keep in mind that growing up, I had a lisp that still makes its way out sometimes. And I used to be really introverted and really shy and not confident. So when I got this opportunity, 
I was like, oh my God. Because yeah. it was going to be in front of a lot of people and it was like the product for that year. And so I was like, okay, what am I going to do? I ended up taking an improv clap. It completely changed my life. The good part about taking an improv class in SF versus LA is if you do improv in LA, it's like really serious. And it's a lot of like people that are working on being in the entertainment space and actors and all of that. And in SF, it's just a bunch of people working in tech. So when I lived in LA, it was just like, I'm like, I can't do it here. It's just like a different caliber. <laughs> yeah. So I did this class. And for some reason before I thought, because I was such a perfectionist and I was so shy, I thought that everyone before they spoke had it all figured out in their head. Mm. And so I'd spend so much time trying to craft the most perfect message until, before I would say it. So I did this improv class. There's no time for that. And so it completely transformed how I was able to learn how to express myself. And it was one of those like really pivotal moments in my life. And so I end up saying yes and released the product on stage on a Dreamforce keynote. And when reflecting on that experience, I then wrote a blog post about how essentially I use storytelling techniques in order to make that really, we'll say like wrangle the stakeholders and then craft this story and narrative. But really it was like using storytelling to really make this product a reality. And so that was this huge intersection of moments of storytelling, expression, AI, all in one bundle. And a lot of what we've been talking about thus far over the past minute is I'll call like the underbelly of the story. And so there are all these, what I call like inner narratives, of understanding yourself and who you are. And then from there, being able to step into and fully express yourself. And one of the most powerful forms of expression is story. I, I'm curious though to know, what are some of the, like, the counterintuitive aspects of storytelling that people often mm -hmm. get wrong? That they think that they're a good storyteller, but they're not. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. So most yeah, yeah. people, and I'd, I'd say I'm consistently actively working on becoming a better storyteller, but right. most people like, I'll take a step back and get meta about our conversation for a second. Yeah, so yeah. you'll notice that a lot of when I talk of this exact podcast, I've intentionally gone from being like really deep at the table. My friend is next to me. We're scrolling on my phone. And then I figure out that I'm dyslexic. And by slowing down in that exact moment, you get a visual and we basically time stops at the kitchen table. Then what I do is I zoom back out and time goes fast. So if you think about some of your favorite movies, there's this yeah. rhythm that happens. Yep. Of it. There's the scenes where it all goes and then equally time slows. But most people, when they tell stories, it's, so I went to this school and then I worked here and then I did this. Right. And it's all very brick by brick which is also very like masculine, like men work more. There's here's a brick, here's a brick, here's a brick. And women are more like weaving things. Um, mm. And neither gender is better at school. There's no gender dynamic of that. But I'd say that's like what, that's a couple things. People stay quite linear when telling stories. And also people mm. think that so they're better mm. storytellers than what they are. But there's a huge opportunity there to become a lot better and really 
dial in the, those pieces in a more effective way. Regardless of if you're a founder or a college student or you're applying for a job interview or even just catching up with a friend or a coffee that you haven't seen in six months, right? Yeah. What are some little things that people can do as a takeaway from this podcast to maybe realize they're not the best storyteller or to get better and yeah. grow in that area? Because to me, it really comes down to effective communication. And you have that's, to know what your goal is. And it's not yeah. that you have to plan it out beforehand. Sure. I am someone that unfortunately struggled with that as well. I was diagnosed with ADHD at a young age. And I very much lived my life realizing that there were a million different thoughts at any given moment that wanted to come out. And I would have to take a step back and think about what I wanted to say, or it was just crippling word vomit. Mm -hmm. And as I've grown older, I've I mean it as a joke, but also not, become inspired by Michael Scott's famous quote of, sometimes I just start a sentence and don't know where it's going and I hope I find it along the way. I have had to yeah, incorporate that into my life and it's definitely changed my ability to communicate with others. That's beautiful. I think, Randy, what you just shared is, is, is actually really profound. Where, just simply because when, most, when you have any kind of like dialogue with people, most people actually aren't listening. They're really busy forming what their response is. So they're trying to craft it out perfect in their head as, and especially bit like podcasts is funny because you're like trying to figure out the, like, that's all like meta and funny, which like you like have to anyway. But in terms of being able to effectively communicate with someone, it really comes down to, are you really being present with them? Like we live in such a culture that here's my phone and people aren't really with other people. And if you're really present and you really listen to the other person and you really listen to yourself, not in a judgmental way, but in a compassionate way to just honor whatever is arising for you in that moment, whatever needs to be expressed is perfectly beautiful. Yeah. And yeah. so there, there, of course, is like the little like minutiae of storytelling techniques and blah, 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 blah. But if you start with being, be present, put your phone either in your pocket, in your backpack, in your purse, whatever it may be, yeah. really be present with that other person and then listen to yourself and just be compassionate to whatever needs to be expressed and allow that to. The techniques and the, the elevation of the story, all that can come later. But first start with those things. So everyone, it's a new year, you're probably still working on building good habits, and I'd like to recommend another one for you to incorporate, protecting yourself online. Just like we lock our doors at night, our digital life needs security too. And that's why this portion of today's episode is sponsored by NordVPN. With NordVPN, a single click encrypts your internet connection and shields your data from prying eyes. Whether you're a student working on assignments over campus Wi-Fi or a fellow founder taking a meeting from a coffee shop, NordVPN keeps us connected while staying safe online. Build a healthier digital habit this year with NordVPN simply by using our link in the show notes. So that actually reminds me, one of our advisors is an incredible communications coach. Her name is Dee Dee Fisher, and she mm. has a unique framework that she's working with us on within a new called CPL. And it stands mm. for compassion, process, and learning, which mm. is be compassionate with the other person, recognize they're going through all their own crap. Mm -hmm. In any given conversation, there's you're seeing the very high level, not even the 1%, but the 10th of a percent mm -hmm. of who they are as a person. 
yeah. realize that they're in process, right? And they're going through their own journey. And also that you have something to learn and they have something to learn. Yeah. And reflecting on those three things, we've already started using in our podcast, in the AI models that we're building for our users. And it's been surprisingly effective. So it's really cool because of course mm. there's the art and also the science to storytelling. It's really cool on the science side there really are these consistent frameworks right. that you can yeah. utilize. And man, I wish more people were educated in that growing up. Now, I think that brings us to a really good point. I want to talk about potential AI yeah. because I love potential. I love what you and Robbie are building. Share, if you don't mind, the inception of potential. When did those roads converge? How did it come about? Yeah, totally. So I announced potential AI about a year ago. And really understood that my core why is really helping people access their full potential and really knew that using the power of narrative as a means to access that felt like a very clear intersection. And so I was doing personal kind of like iterations. And then for my last startup, I worked with Robbie as a client and one, he's a kind, amazing person, but also an impeccable storyteller. And I had this kind of aha moment last year in April, so April 23. And I texted him and I was like, hey, we need to talk. <laughs> and so short of it, we ended up like jamming starting in May. And more or less the rest is history. Yeah. But it was a lot of getting clear of... Uh, what's my why and what I want to step into and mm -hmm. what is the person that mm -hmm. I needed to fold in to make, to start to make that happen. Yeah. Why the AI part of potential AI? Like why use artificial intelligence or large language models for this specific case for users or for your business? Yeah, so a lot of, a big impetus around AI is if scale and ease of use. Yeah, and in our case where we're like hyper-focused on story and narrative generation, it's taking something that used to take like days and turning it into a much shorter amount of time. And the power of like LLMs is taking unstructured data and making mm -hmm. it structured. And that's a, like very core to where the product is in its current state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of my favorite things that you said earlier too, was that ability to simultaneously operate at two different levels where yeah, you're right. zoomed out really high level, yeah. but you can also zoom in and give the care and attention to okay. every single person. One of the reasons why we decided on generative AI um, and specifically LLMs as a way to maximize what we could do for people is exactly that, is that yeah. we can have really detailed, really personal, even more so than a traditional LLM with what we're building, um, models that we can then also operate at scale. And yeah. that's such a beautiful thing because for how long have we had to sacrifice those two worlds? Yeah. Shouldn't be that way. We should be able to maximize not just our potential, but also our impact mm -hmm. on day-to-day -day lives. Yeah. And what excites me too about potential AI is that it's not just the founders that you're helping. Yeah. I see, maybe it's not, I don't want to assign a vision to you, but the vision that I see is you guys have the opportunity to shift the VC landscape as well. Mm -hmm. And to have a new way of forming those relationships. That's been one of the most challenging things for us as first-time founders is 
figuring out a framework for who we do and do not want to work with. Mm -hmm. And also, yes, how to confute our, or how to communicate our own founder narratives, but then also how to develop those relationships in a way that makes sense for where we want our business to go. I would love to see the future of VC being one where it, it really is about that why and the purpose yeah. and the potential, and maybe slightly less about specific data around traction and all these other things that people get caught up in sometimes. I think it's I think it's both. I think it's both because I think the reality with VC and I see this is where some founders get caught up in a VC's job is to provide a return for their LPs. Um, That is their core job. And so I think it's like with all of that, it like holding space for like, why are they here and what is their job? And also, what do I really need to feel supported mm-hmm. and secure and thrive? And does the VC play that role? Is it a more of an advisor? Is it what role do I want them to play? Yeah. Because with any kind of with any kind of relationship, really, we have we project of what we want that person's entity mm-hmm. to be, and then there is also just like the reality of their own why and their own motives and how they're interacting. And I see both because of course, like the aim with any, we'll say in this case, like startup is to create a very like prosperous business of how whatever metrics that you deem as impactful. And the aim hopefully and intent is that those align with Mm-hmm. the goals of VCs. And so there are certain VCs that are more like social impact focused or really focused on like climate or there aren't sole VCs that are, we'll say like monetarily driven. Right. And so it dep- I'd say, what I would say is it really depends of everything that you're building in, in a company is an incentive system. And yeah. so it's being really mindful of as you start to stitch together all of these systems, making sure that your motivation and your why is a match, whether it's a new employee, an investor, yeah. a customer. Yeah. So with your why and, and obviously Robbie's why and your shared vision in mind, where do you see potential going over the next few years? Yeah. So there's a lot. What, what I will say is there's a lot of shifts at play. A lot, I'd say like more recently. I'll say at a high level is what really excites us is really using the power of AI to bring like storytelling and narratives in a way that people and businesses haven't been able to utilize. And so there's something that is a high value for me is acting with integrity. And so we, I see this even from when I worked at Google or Salesforce, or was at an agency out of school working for other like larger companies of one, understanding how do you express from that integral place, but then also how do you have your team then percolate that message in a way that allows your business to act with a high degree of integrity. And so I'm aware I'm keeping it all a little bit abstract. It's intentional. (laughs) (laughs) We do the exact same thing. We're like, wow, what I really would love to share is for six months from now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But, But what I would say is there is so much opportunity in the intersection of utilizing AI as a tool to really empower 
a story on mm. a scale that's never been able to be done before. And I don't mean scale coming from a place of ego, but rather scale from a place of accessibility. Yeah. Mm. And so the, and for me, that like everything that people say, that's what's the intention behind it. And so just to be really clear of what that means. So that's some things, very high level, more to come when it's That's set. beautiful. And we can't wait to see it. Please consider us definitely supporters of, of yeah. everything that you guys do. Yeah. It's been an amazing journey so far. I appreciate your time. You have anything else? Yeah. Where can people reach you? Totally. So to, to follow me online, go to Rachel D. Weissman on everything, whether that's racheldweissman.com, on LinkedIn, X, Instagram, all the things. For potential, it's potential.ai. But I'd say, especially to follow up with all the latest bits of things, follow my personal would be the best. That's wonderful. And then we'll put it in the show notes as well for people to follow. Beautiful. Absolutely. Thank Great. you, Rachel. Thank you Thank so you much Thanks for your time. Us. This is so fun. Thanks again for joining us, Rachel. And to our listeners, thanks again for being part of this growing community. As a founder and honestly, just as a human, some days are harder than others, but having conversations like this and getting feedback about Anu from folks like Noel help remind me of why we're doing this in the first place. I appreciate every single one of you, and I encourage everyone to reach out personally to get involved. Until next time, I'm going to get back to work. Mm-hmm.